Hello, I'm Justin Wheeler, and welcome to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. Welcome back, nonprofit friends. Nonstop Nonprofit has a whole new season ahead, and we're kicking it off with a compilation series loaded with live interviews from AFP Icon 2022. Hang out at our booth with us and talk to nonprofit's brightest stars about trends, impact, and the future of fundraising. As a bonus, we're capping this series off with the best clips from last season. So if you're new to the podcast, stick with us. You'll get all the goods in a fraction of the time. Episode three of our compilation series features Karen Houghton, Brett Heinrich, Shiri Skinner, and Mallory Erickson. Let's dive in. It is your number one priority to ensure that your business can continue to deliver on its mission, whether it's this year, next year, and beyond. So we're creating this inclusive environment, building between diverse communities to ensure that our young people can thrive. I'm always so baffled when I when I do webinars. There's always somebody at the end who raises their hand and says, I'm the development director. Should I have access to the budget? I'm always like, yes, you've got to know that. The best thing you can ever do as a nonprofit leader is spend as much money as possible on your story then you're doing it wrong okay that is unacceptable and that is not the way to run a board the best thing that we can do is just raise as much money as possible and then give it to the people around the world if you're going to be sustainable you have to have a multi-channel strategy to reach all of these different generations of donors however they want to be reached one of the principal values that we carry as an organization is to lift grace over guilt and we believe that grace is the greatest agent for change that anyone can experience. We all need each other in terms of other nonprofits working together to solve things. The more nonprofits can give their donor base that experience of the impact that's being made on the ground level, there's nothing else you have to give someone. This is Nonstop Nonprofit. In this segment, Karen Houghton, CEO and founder of Infinite Giving, brings high-level investment planning to the nonprofit world. It's an exciting concept. Hear why nonprofits that want to fire back at inflation, take a long-game approach to program funding, or make stock donations attractive and easy need a tool designed for them. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. So tell us about Infinite Giving. Infinite Giving is a automated investment platform. So we are the first robo-advisor built specifically for nonprofits. We help you hedge against inflation, grow your assets, and create and manage endowments. Um, what, what led you to, to start the platform? Great question. I am a former life. I was an executive director and founder of a nonprofit. Okay. So I came from that. I understand scarcity mindset. I understand difficult board conversations. And I then had a later in life, had a nine year career in tech startups. So advising tech startups, working with them, and also got into venture capital. Uh, I also serve on three nonprofit boards, one for higher education. So I have this really unique blend of board experience, being an executive director, walking in those shoes, and then also with this tech and venture capital and finance background, felt like Infinite Giving was this perfect blend of like what I was meant to build and how we could serve the people who needed it the most. Was there like a specific moment that you had encountered a pro, like a, just a challenge with whether it's accepting stock donations or on the investing platform side that led you to 
wanting to start infinite giving yeah i think a lot of was like what am i uniquely made in my experience to what problem is that to solve and looking at the investment opportunities that nonprofits have is very traditional yeah there it, there's not a whole lot of opportunities that actually can decrease fees that can make it easy to understand and approachable that allows them to create endowments so that it's just a very traditional industry and uh, a lot of it is just ripe for disruption and an opportunity for us to leverage technology to really it's, it's a very modern technology that allows them to really grow their giving yeah so i mean i imagine there are some challenges in getting nonprofits to change sort of their perspective on what to do with idle money sitting in the bank yes. right? a lot of times organizations build up what tried to build up you know a cushion for a rainy day and, and so forth yeah. aren't naturally inclined unless they're bigger to to, to yeah. invest so talk to us a little bit about how, how infinite giving helps sort of bridge that divide and educates yeah. nonprofits around well, investing opportunities yeah i think as most nonprofit leaders know anything worth doing is hard yeah that's true <laughs> um and so a lot of it is education we spend a lot of time talking to people and offering them a lot of data right data doesn't lie and so when you're looking at inflation for instance right right now we have 8.5 percent inflation is this a forever thing surely we all hope not yeah. right but even when you're looking at you know in a great economy the fed's target inflation rate is two percent now you look at a savings account a money market a cd maybe 0.06 percent 0.11 percent right and so what feels safe is an emotional decision that we're making. We're saying, all right, I'm going to put it away for a rainy day. It's in a savings account and I need it. But when an emergency happens and you actually go maybe three, four or five years down the road, you need to access that savings. It is no longer worth the same amount of money that it was before because of inflation. So anything sitting in a money market savings account or a CD is actively losing value. And so we really wanted to democratize access to conservative portfolios, right? We leverage ETFs and index funds. And a lot of that is also based off the data that decades of academic research has proven that over 90% of active wealth advisors cannot outperform index funds over a five-year period. So that's where you've had this big rise of passive investing and robo-advising. So when we talk about robo-advising, that's using mathematical algorithms, right? And yeah. it's using technology um, to help you create investment decisions and it's existed for over a decade you've got Wealthfront, you've got betterment you've got schwab intelligent portfolios so they exist merrill lynch has one everyone's got one yeah it's only been available for retail customers like you and i personally could go invest my husband and i have invested in Wealthfront for years great transparency easy access to our funds incredibly reduced fees all those are wins for nonprofits. And so what Infinite Giving is, is we're the first robo-advisor that allows for entity investing. So we're bringing this technology that allows all of these great outcomes um, and helping nonprofits access those. That's amazing. How, is, how has traction been so far? You mentioned about a year in uh, to yes. starting the business. So yes. how, how are nonprofits responding to the technology? Really well. And once they see our product, they want it. They want so it, yeah. a lot of it is understanding. A lot of it is education around fees. I will say that probably 95% of the nonprofits we speak to do not understand or know their investment fees. Hmm. And when you're talking about significant money going to third party vendors, yeah. 
that they shouldn't have to spend, it becomes really significant, but they don't understand what's reasonable, right? So Common Fund um, Institute did a big survey where they said the average endowment that's $25 million is paying an average of 1.34% in fees. Wow. So the question is, is that reasonable? Is that not? I've talked to others who are paying upwards of 2%, 2.5%. And so there's a lot of opportunities to decrease that by using technology, and that's what Infinite Giving provides. I literally did an RFP for an organization the other day, and I was like, great, just on these fees, we're not even talking about asset growing, but just on these fees, we were going to save them close to $900,000 in third-party fees over five years. Wow. Wow. And yet they thought they had great, a fee, great fee structure. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So it's when that money could be going to like your mission or your bottom line, like they're it's not wrong because that's been what's available. Yeah. But now with Infinite Giving, you have different opportunities and you're able to put that money towards things that are more important. Yeah. Yeah. As part of your go to market, um, have you found that a lot of nonprofits already have like an active, like the ability to accept stock donations? I mean, you think about sort of like, you know, where, where wealth is at. Mm-hmm. Very few people actually have cash just sitting in the bank, right? yes. individuals. It's usually in the markets to some degree, uh, yet so little nonprofits actually have the capabilities of, of accepting uh, non-cash donations. And so how, how, um, how has that been in going to market, understanding sort of organization's capacity? Have you had to do a lot of uh, uh, educating there, or have you found nonprofits have already been ex- accepting stock donations to an extent? Yeah, so as far as go to market, I mean, we're an investment platform. We are a registered investment advisor, so they still get, we're their outsourced CIO, yep. we're their fiduciary. So. We have technology, that's what we use, but we also have people if they need it. So you do get an investment advisor if you need them to join finance committee meetings or board meetings. I would say usually it's, you kind of have two paths. You're, you're a smaller nonprofit who is scared to invest or you don't meet the high minimums or you don't want to pay really high fees and you're in a savings account money market. And so that's what we're, he- we're talking about, hedging against inflation and educating mm-hmm. that way. If they are currently investing, then often it's about understanding fee structure, understanding you know what a diversified portfolio is and why you should not manage that money yourself, right, yeah. in that board. So that's always the most affordable way is just go do it yourself. But then it's like, do you really want to have fiduciary responsibilities? And then from there with stocks, like so once you're on our platform, you're able to use many, uh, we have several different gifting tools, which allows you to receive stocks for free, receive crypto for free, and then create and manage endowments. And we even have a unique um, endowment gifting tool. Oh, wow. So all that to say is, to your point, high wealth donors carry the majority of their money not in cash. Yeah. And it's because they understand inflation and they know, hey, if I leave my money sitting in a savings account, I'm going to be actively losing value. So I'm going to put it into the market. Yeah. And it's the most tax efficient way to give. So when you're asking donors to give you cash, that means they're like, okay, I'm going to have to go sell these stocks. I'm going to pay long term capital gains on those. And then it's a lot of manual back and forth. And then they have to eventually whatever they end up giving, the, the nonprofit has a, a smaller gift yeah. left, right? And so most nonprofits receive stocks uh, or they know we can do that. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, do you, they're like, yeah, we can do that. You download this you PDF. Call. Yeah, exactly. Yes, everything. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. Can I download this, you know, 10 page form and then wet ink and fax it to whatever. Yeah. And then your guy's got to call my guy and then blah, blah, blah. And so what we've done is we've created a custom URL that makes it really easy. Uh, they have like a 
four things to fill out. And it's like, here, I'm going to gift you these hundred Apple shares. Here's what I want to do. And um, they can embed it into an email, into a button on their website. And then from there, once they fill that out, uh, the nonprofit gets notified, says, hey, Karen Houghton's going to give you a hundred Apple shares get ready for it and keep an eye out on it. And then when we receive those shares, we liquidate them immediately and reinvest it into a diversified portfolio. Okay. So the idea is right now, can most people, if they would like to figure out how to open a brokerage account? Yes, it takes weeks, it takes paper, it's really pain. We yeah. do a fully digital brokerage account opening in about 15 minutes for an entity account. Wow. Um, and then from there, with the stock gifting, we provide transparency. So you can go in and say, great, I didn't actually have to do anything as a nonprofit. Like I just was like, oh, I received it. And I just get to say thank you. Yeah. And then we're able to do that. And, and that's how we're doing crypto as well, is that you'll just be able to receive that. And then we immediately um, turn it to fiat cash and then reinvest it into diversified portfolio. Got it. On the like on the stock side, how big is the stock like giving market? Like, do you know how much annually is given through like stock donations? Is that... Is that monitored? That's a good question. I, I know Russell James did a study that showed that if you start asking for cash gifts and stock gifts, you can grow your giving up to 55%, wow. which yeah. I find extraordinarily high. Yeah. And it's not like this magic, oh, if I do this and put this on my website, it's all going to come in. Yeah. So it's still education, but it's certainly a increasingly popular conversation because it's been an untapped opportunity by most nonprofits. Yeah. And when you're telling these high wealth donors like, hey, this is the most tax efficient way to give. You won't have to pay long-term capital gains. Oh, by the way, we make it really easy for you. You don't have to call somebody. Um, and then they get a higher deduction off the gift and the nonprofit is able to receive that. It's really helpful. And I think they, the gifts tend to be significantly higher on higher, average yeah. as well than a yeah, cash I, gift. I think I heard something like the average stock is just like $6,000 or something yes, like that. Yes. Yeah. Which is significantly more than uh, cash. Yeah, and cash gets like $20 here, yeah. $20 there. Yeah, yeah. And so it's a lot of it is about intentionality, education, and creating easy opportunities for those donors to connect with yeah. you. So you're a year in. What does the next couple of years have in store? What are you excited about, whether on the technology side that you guys are building, uh, growth plans. What what are you looking forward to over the next uh, couple of years? Absolutely, uh, we look forward to being the asset management and investment platform that all nonprofits use. So. There's no one else out there doing what we're doing the way we're doing it. And it's it's what's best for the customer, which is the nonprofit. So it's able to reduce fees. Our dashboard is so intuitive. It's really easy to use. You have access to your money. You can have multi-users log in um, and you can have different you know permissions. So, hey, uh, you want to see that? Great, but you can't actually move money, right? So you yeah. can create those permissions and it just allows a lot of accountability and transparency. And what I personally would love to see is a rise in micro endowments because I think that's endowments are not for everybody, right? Yeah. You got to get out of that scarcity mindset. You got to build your reserves. Yeah. But the idea that endowments are only for higher education, I think small to mid-sized nonprofits are missing out on a huge opportunity. And that's an incredible opportunity also to build sustainability. And I think too many people don't understand endowments. Like it's not just restricted endowments anymore. Like we only do quasi endowments or unrestricted endowments. And the idea that an endowment is something that you can use to fund a scholarship, to fund a program, to fund salary increases. We're working with um, an independent school right now and their endowment is literally so they can use that disbursement to give all of their teachers raises. Oh, wow. Um, cool. And I'm like, that's so important. And yeah. yes, do you know how, like, we can help you build a campaign around that. Like there's a lot of like easy ways to do that. And you're like, yes, 
people will still give to operations. A lot of it is about the story you tell. Yeah, yeah. And what higher ed has shown us is that high wealth donors want to give endowments. Yeah. Do you know how big Harvard's endowment is? Um, if I had to guess, I want to guess multi-billions. $53 billion. Wow. Stanford's $33 billion. Wow. And... God bless those schools. I'm happy for them. But like, I think most of us listening to this would be like, they're good. Yeah. Like they don't need more, you know? <laughs> yeah, so seriously. it's like, how do we give other people the tools to be able to receive that? Because high wealth donors want to give endowments. Is it the easiest story to tell? Yeah. A gift that you give once that builds sustainability and a legacy and gets passed generation to generation. Yeah. And if it's unrestricted, then, and you're starting to look at long-term goals, right? If you're not setting 10, 20 year goals, don't do an endowment. But if you are, and you're like, Hey, know we're going to be in existence we're seeing this long-term path then you have the opportunity to start asking for endowment gifts and we have like a donor portal where they can log in and they see it named after them and we have really subtle asks where it's like would you like to add to your endowment and we let them add stock and cash gifts into their endowment and they can invite people into that so it's almost like you're crowdfunding this endowment we have a little activity feed where it's like oh you know cousin so-and-so added to it or so-and-so and so so even though they're small the idea is that every year they're excited and feel connected because usually if you give an endowment like I've spoken with people here today at ATP um, AFP icon that's like hey we yeah an endowment we feel really disconnected or we don't we don't know what to do with it and I think that's a great opportunity for us to change the story we're telling and tap into more opportunity yeah that's amazing so Setting the endowment aside real quick, because yeah. as you mentioned, it's not for every nonprofit. I right. think it's probably like a size capacity, right, mm-hmm. thing. Uh, all the other services and products that you do offer uh, for nonprofits listening, like what, what's what's the bright profile or cash minimum requirement yeah. uh, to get started with infinite giving? Yeah, our, our minimum investment is $25,000. Okay. And then we serve customers up to... 100 million essentially okay. so we right now i think our sweet spot's going to be in that between kind of one and 50 million which yeah. is a massive like difference yeah, right yeah. i think when you're getting over 100 million um there's just some different challenges and different types of boards uh and they also often have the ability to diversify into real estate and different things right so we're looking at just simplifying ETFs, index funds, having fiduciary responsibilities and growing your asset, giving it away. That's really approachable and easy to understand. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So I have some rapid fire questions. Let's go. Ask. Let's do it. Um, there's no wrong or right answer. Wait, do I get to ask these questions back to you? Sure. Yeah, yeah. you're the first one to ask that <laughs> okay. actually, but okay. you're, you're welcome to. All right. Movies or series? Series. Which is your favorite series? Oh gosh. It depends on the day you ask me. What are you actually um, watching? What's, your, what's in your queue now that you're the most uh, interested in? I'm like panicking. I can't even tell you right yeah, now because okay. here's what happens is I go really deep and I watch it all and then I'm like, great, done, next. Yeah, next, yeah. And then I just can see, it's like how I read books. I read books like I watch movies where I'm like, great, I sit down, I read the whole book in like three days and then I just have to like come up for air. Okay. But I yeah. love series. How I'm, about you? I'm, I'm serious too. I've been, I went, I binged all of the like, you know, the, the tech crashes on Absolutely. Uh, so like we crash. Oh, yeah. It was super fascinating. Man, we crash so fascinating. Yeah. That could be a whole podcast. It's, well, cra- it is a podcast. It is, it is a, yeah, it is. It's like everything now. But what's crazy is I'm blanking on the actor's name now that plays Adam. Um, yeah. But if you see them side by side, it's, it's crazy right? like how well he did. They did yeah. some like, acts and he nailed it. Yes. Um, but yeah. And then also, um, what's it called? Super pumped about the, the fall of Uber. I don't know Uber. that one. Uh, or the, uh, uh, of Travis. Yeah. Um, I haven't watched that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, one's, that one's pretty interesting too. Yeah. But, um, pretty yeah. sure that another one's going to be made about Twitter right now. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Tacos or cheeseburgers? 
Uh, if it's a Tuesday taco, because it's Taco <laughs> yeah. Tuesdays, but yeah. any other day, cheeseburger. Okay. I'm, How about you? I, I'm cheeseburger, yeah, for right. sure. I'm, I have a uh, six-year-old daughter. Well, she's about to be six. She could eat cheeseburgers every single oh, day, I, her I, whole I, life. I have twins, <laughs> six-year-old twins, oh, and that's what they ask for every day. It's the best age. Yeah. <laughs> cheeseburgers are great, too. It's the best age for cheeseburgers. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, beach or mountains? Beach. Beach. We're in Atlanta, so we live right on that 30A, not far from, sorry, so it's like five hours. So we go to 30A, like the panhandle of Florida a lot. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. And you, I mean, you, it's... And we have Blue Ridge Mountains north of us by like an hour and a half. So you're gonna have, you have both, but yeah, I, like if you had to live somewhere the rest of your life, I'm like beach, nice weather, not not the ocean. I mean, not the mountains. Digital reading or an actual book? Actual book. Actual Hardcover I, or soft? Oh, good question. Um, I love a good hardcover book, but I'm going to... Yeah, hardcover. hardcover. I, I would say the practicality. I always buy softcover because they're more affordable. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to spend money on that. But yeah, yeah, makes sense. I'm also uh, hardcovers look better on bookshelves. Yes, they're more so, decorative. Yes, um, I also prefer actual versus digital. Yes, yeah. I'm on digital, like I'm computer, phones, all of that. Yeah. I, someday at so night, I just want to. Yeah, it doesn't feel like I'm reading a book when it's no, on digital. No, I need either, to be able know? to fold the little corner down. Yeah. Know it's the great. progress. See your promise more. Yes. You have to go to end the book. Yes. I, yeah, it's important. Ice cream or froyo. Ice cream. Ice cream. Yeah. Yes. I, I feel Fro-Ro, passionately about Everyone that. has said ice cream. I think Froyo is on its way out. I think it needs to go. Yeah. It's had yeah. it's had its moment. Yeah. Football or football? Uh, well, I'm from Georgia. Okay. So absolutely go Bulldogs. Bulldogs. National champs all, all right. the way. So you're football. You're yeah. Football. Yeah. Football. How um, about you? I... I'm not a sports person. Yeah. I'm um, married into it. Yeah. Okay. So... <laughs> Like I'm only there's only sports on the TV if a friend is over that's like interested yeah. in the game. Yeah. Or it's like the playoffs. And I that's a good friend. Time. You're a good friend to do that. <laughs> yeah. It's the only reason why I have cable for my friends. <laughs> um, Moana or Aladdin. Moana. Or Encanto. Moana. Moana. Yeah. I know. That's, 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 I like it. It's too good. Too yeah. good. Yeah. Although I can sing a lot of the Aladdin. That's like what we grew up on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Moana for my daughter. Aladdin for Aladdin me. for you. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, thank you for participating. Thanks for Absolutely. joining the podcast. I would love to do a deeper dive. Um, on just all things investing for nonprofits. Right. This could be such a big conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So thanks for taking the time to yeah. bring us up to speed today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. In this segment, Brett Heinrich, CEO of Wings of Hope and AFP board member, gives us some great examples of how necessity has resulted in innovative solutions. From the humble beginnings of Wings of Hope to the most recent pandemic hurdles and onto harnessing the power of technology, Wings of Hope has continued to increase care and impact where it is most needed. All right. Well, Brett, thank you so much for uh, joining us here at Nonstop Nonprofit Podcast. Uh, how are you doing today? Justin, I'm doing great. It's so exciting to be back in person with the conference. As a member of the AFP Global Board, we've been waiting for three years for this. We have nearly 3,000 fundraisers here wow. this week. What? So how did you get involved with AFP? I mean, as a, you're a nonprofit leader, which we're going to get into, uh, why did you decide to take on the extra responsibility and, and join uh, the board at AFP? AFP was really the best career decision I ever made. As I started in nonprofit work, I was a program person and was asked to take over and develop a development department, and I had no idea what I was doing. So AFP became my lifeline, and I stayed involved all these years, uh, and it has really been the source of inspiration, of learning, of creativity, and of successful fundraising for me. In, in regards to the pandemic, so this, yes, it's been virtual for the last three years, or has it just been uh, postponed? It, how has it caused you uh, as, a, as a board to really think 
uh, through AFP moving forward. I mean, yeah. well, everybody's favorite COVID word pivot. <laughs> yeah, we learned yeah. to pivot quickly. <laughs> and literally the first year we went from in person to virtual almost overnight okay. uh, when we were shut down and couldn't proceed. So we learned quickly how to use technology in a new way how to make resources available to our constituents in a new way. But what we couldn't replace is the fellowship you get at a, a, an event like this. Yeah. And so we're just so excited that people are back together. Yeah, it's great great to be back. I love AFP. So thank you for all the hard work that you guys have done to, to make this happen. Um, Rhett, you run a very interesting nonprofit. And uh, maybe for just kind of kickstart that conversation, tell us a little bit about your nonprofit, what you guys do at a high level, and then we'll kind of dig into some of the, the interesting programs you guys are running. Absolutely, Justin. So I'm the president and CEO of an organization based in St. Louis, Missouri, called Wings of Hope. And we're a global humanitarian organization that uses airplanes to save and change lives. We fly into some of the most remote locations around the world to provide humanitarian assistance. Places as far flung as the Amazon rainforest, wow. uh, the plains of Tanzania. We also transport people in the United States that cannot access specialized care in their communities. So, for example, a child with severe club foot and there's no orthopedic surgeon for miles and miles. We'll transport that child and mom or dad as many times as it takes at no cost until the child is healed. Wow. And what was the inspiration for, did you start the nonprofit or what's like the founding kind of like the startup story of, of the organization? I am so glad you asked. We have a great startup story. It began 60 years ago. There were uh, uh, Catholic charities relief efforts going on in Kenya. And one of the relief efforts in involved some of the world's first flying nuns. So the nuns were flying into this desert uh, area of Kenya providing relief and they were flying a plane that had wooden wings with canvas stretched across the wings and the desert conditions were beating up on that plane pretty badly. So the canvas began to peel back from the edge of the planes and at night when the nuns would park their plane and go in for the evening with that glue exposed the hyenas were really attracted to the taste of that glue oh, wow. and they would come out at night and they were literally eating the nuns airplane wow so our founders in st louis heard about this and decided we can't let the hyenas continue to eat the nuns airplane so they raised the money purchased an aluminum aircraft and sent it to kenya that became the very first Wings of Hope aircraft. And so I say we owe our humble beginnings to the nuns and the hyenas. Wow. <laughs> That's great. That's a great startup story. I love yeah. it. You mentioned that when the pandemic hit, uh, your organization had to rethink the way that it delivered the services and products that you uh, were delivering around the world. Talk to us a little bit about the, just kind of the process to get to where you landed and then what was the actual outcome of the innovation uh, that took place as a result of, of the pandemic. Most definitely. Virtually all of our 10 field bases were shut down during the early days of the pandemic, but people were still hurting. People still needed care that they couldn't access based on where they live. And that was particularly true in our work in Ecuador, where we work with an, a non-governmental organization called Alas de Socorro. And Alas de Socorro and Wings of Hope were unable to fly into the rainforest to provide relief to the eight indigenous tribes we work with because bringing in COVID, of course, could have been devastating to those tribes. Yeah. So it, 
set us thinking about what can we do? What can we do to provide relief when we physically can't be in the rainforest? So next week, I'm on my way to Ecuador with my team, and we're setting up a drone program so we can deliver anti-venom or we can deliver medicine and other life-saving supplies when we can't physically be in the rainforest. Wow, that's amazing. Have you thought about, you know, as as a former fundraiser myself, I think about, wow, this opportunity you know, to, to drop off goods using drones and, you know, thinking about like, how do you bring the donor into that experience? Uh, well, have you thought about how the donor might be able to interact or see the impact for themselves uh, using, you know, something like a drone, which you can obviously capture aerial, aerial view shots and so forth. Have you, have you thought about how that might also impact kind of your fundraising efforts moving forward? Most definitely. In fact, going with us as a film crew to document this experience. Oh, wow. And they will be with us for a week. We'll be spending the night in the rainforest to capture the full experience in the rainforest. And we're hopeful that uh, this really turns into something that our donors can see and feel and hear and touch. Yeah, absolutely. Also, you guys have been nominated for two Nobel Peace Prizes. Is that is that correct? Yes, sir. So how does an organization like yours even get nominated in the first place? Uh, what, what sort of, what's the process to how you get actually nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize? Well, first and foremost, we're so humbled to even be in that realm. Yeah. Uh, it is such a, an honor to even be nominated. And it takes uh, someone to become aware of the work you're doing, Uh, Our nomination, we believe, was based largely on our work throughout Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, to reduce infant mortality rates among the Maasai that live in sub-Saharan Africa. And we were nominated. It's a very secretive process. Uh, In fact, they don't release the name of the nominees, nominate tours for 50 years. Oh, wow. And so we're happily nominated. Uh, We don't necessarily, we think we know who nominated us, uh, but we're waiting uh, a few more years. A few more years to find out. To find out, yeah. (laughs) That's exciting. Well, congratulations on that. Thank Uh, you. That's definitely uh, something to be very, very proud of. Yeah. So you guys are doing very important work, uh, helping uh, people around the world. What's your motivation? Like why, why did you get involved uh, and step in as the CEO of the organization? Uh, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your, your passion for the work that you guys are doing. Justin, you know, my personal values and beliefs, my personal mission statement has always been to ensure every child has the opportunity to reach her or his full potential. And that's really what we're doing at Wings of Hope. We are ensuring that everyone has access to a better life. That's our vision. We want to make sure that no matter where you live in the world, you can have healthy babies, you can have your wounds taken care of, you can have the supplies that you need without any strings attached. We're not going to ask you to change your culture or beliefs just to continue to allow us to let you serve the basic needs that, that you feel you need. Got it. Uh, so that's been my motivation. I, I am so pleased to be able to run an organization that shares in that motivation. Yeah, that's amazing. Amazing. As you look to, towards the future, what are you excited about? What's the potential that you see as the organization kind of continues to iterate on its innovation uh, and continues to help more and more people? What, what are you excited about as you look forward in the near future? You know, again, with COVID, it taught the world to think differently. And we're seeing a proliferation of telehealth here in the United States. And that's something we're interested in taking into remote communities. I flew in with our our good friend in Zambia, who's the country's only reconstructive surgeon, for an entire country. 
And we spent half of our day triaging patients because that was what we had to do. And there was really no clear path for him to monitor his patients from a remote location. So we're working with just some terrific people uh, to make this happen, where we can set up a telehealth link that will allow us to triage patients before we arrive, to follow up with them afterwards. That and ultimately, I, I see an opportunity for Wings of Hope and the, and the entire global humanitarian ecosystem to engage volunteers broadly. Wings of Hope has 350 amazing volunteers, including our young ambassadors that are expanding now from St. Louis to Atlanta. And eventually I see a global movement of people around the world supporting efforts like Wings of Hope. Got it. Yeah. And then the last question here for you is, uh, what's, what would you say Wings of Hope's greatest challenge is today? What's maybe holding it back from scaling or growing or helping more people? What keeps you up at night as, as a leader thinking about the challenges that uh, you're trying to overcome to continue pushing the organization forward? You know, I think like a lot of nonprofit organizations, it's matching the organization's strengths with its capacity. Mm. We are poised to do really exciting things. Our team is so great, and we have so many great partners in our global humanitarian network, but we have to stay focused on on a plan that allows us to expand in a very responsible way. So while we want it all today, we know it may be until tomorrow before yeah. we get it all there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Brett, so as we close here, I'm gonna ask some rapid fire questions. Favorite movie or series? Favorite movie, Rocky. Rocky, ooh, that's a good one. Tacos or cheeseburgers? Tacos. Beach or the mountains? Mountains. Digital reading or an actual book? Actual book all the way. I feel you on that one too. Ice cream or Froyo? Ice cream. Oh, yeah. We're, we're like the same person here so far. Yeah. Football or football? Football, Chicago Bears style. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, Moana or Aladdin? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I, I'm old school, so I'll go with La- Aladdin. 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 Yeah. You can't go there. Yeah, that's wrong. Awesome. All right. Well, Brett, thank you so much for participating. Mm-hmm. Loved, loved having you on the podcast and look forward to uh, bringing you back on talk more about uh, your amazing programs. Thank you, Justin. A real honor. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yep. In this segment, Shiri Skinner, Director of Development and Communication at New Futures, AFP presenter and idealist, reminds us that nonprofiteers are the best people in the world. From pride in our work to tackling new challenges to progress on our long journey to equity, it's easy to forget that nonprofits are literally making the world a better place. Shiri, thank you so much for joining the Nonstop Nonprofit Podcast. I heard uh, you're a rock star in podcasts. Uh, this is my first one. <laughs> I'm going to be a rock star. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, how, is, how has AFP been so far? It's been great. I love being around my colleagues. You know, we're in a very unique profession. And um, it's part of coping to come together with yeah. your colleagues. Yeah. Uh, you learn a lot, too. You know, the session that I had today, we make sure that it's very interactive because we, we learn from each other. Yeah not just from listening to, you know, the presenter or being a presenter. So um, I love coming to AFP. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's great to be back in person. Yes. Uh, like you said, and, and it's, uh, you know, the energy, the momentum, I, I love I love that. And so yes. um, definitely glad to be back in person. You've um, you've been a fundraiser um, for a while. A um, long time. How has Guess that, how many uh, years? Um, 12. <laughs> 
31. 31 years. How has the industry changed over uh, 31 years? Well, it's definitely changed in what funders want to know about your organizations. Okay. I think when I first started, you know, I started at a police athletic league. Are you familiar with them? Police athletic league. So kind of like an after school, okay. summertime uh, youth development organization. And back then we could just say, oh, we're going to serve a thousand kids this year. Give us the money. And just because we had the numbers yeah. and we were in certain neighborhoods, you know, we didn't have to provide a lot of data. There wasn't a lot of, say, before and after. So that has changed quite a bit now. Uh, definitely more data and metrics driven. And even your individual donors want to know exactly what is your impact and how are you measuring that. Hmm. So it's changed quite a bit. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously uh, you've been around for the ride and you're enjoying it. How, Absolutely. Uh, how, how do you see yourself for the next 31 years being a, a fundraiser? I can't imagine not being a fundraiser. You meet the best people. I think philanthropists, you know, I'm an idealist. I yeah. think you have to be an, an to, idealist yeah, to work in the nonprofit sector. And so it's like, I really feel like I want to change the world and I want to help other people change the world. Yeah. And I think we all have a role to play, whether that be somebody who's volunteering or somebody that's writing a ginormous, ginormous check, whatever, however you want to say it. Yeah. Or, you know, a person like me who's on staff. The, the and the program delivery people right all those things have to come together so yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, what's one of your proudest moments as a fundraiser wow I've had a lot of them recently I managed a 30th anniversary event for an after-school organization in DC and they had never hosted a fundraising event of that scale before yeah. I remember when I said we have to raise more than $100,000 and we have to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. And really, they kind of looked at me like it was an impossible task. And yet it came together. We exceeded all the goals that were set. And we had this amazing event for this, you know, hyper-local organization in D.C. And our founder was there. And we had a journalist who served as our master of ceremonies, and oh, wow. he was just so awesome. I don't know if you know the name Bruce Johnson, but um, Bruce Johnson was from WUSA 9. And it was just an enormous event. It was, yeah. it was a huge milestone for the organization. And the fact that we were able to celebrate it the way that we did was really fantastic. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah very, very exciting. Yeah. And I exceeded all my fundraising goals, there so go. that's always good. <laughs> yeah. go I, I left that organization. I'm starting with a new organization, but I left there. I went out with a bang. You went out with a bang. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I used to, I was a fundraiser for 12 years. Okay. And for me, like, the, the hardest thing about fundraising was January 1st, right? It feels uh, like everything just, like, started over. Yeah. Like, all, everything you had accomplished in that year, like, it's almost like the clock sets it back to zero. Yes. Do you deal with that at all, or have you found ways around... Well, I think... It's, it's one of those never-ending cycles, yeah. right? But I always think that the beginning of a new year is an opportunity to set a new goal and accomplish it. Yeah. So oftentimes, like how many things can you work on at once? So for an example, like if you want to start a major donor society, for example, like you could spend, that could be your focus for one year, you get it done. 
And then the next year, maybe you're working on the Legacy Society. Yeah. Or you're working on that event or something else. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, the start of a new year is, is an opportunity to to add something yeah. to your development portfolio. I like that. That's a good perspective. Yeah. 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 So you're here at AFP. Uh, you spoke this morning or this afternoon. This afternoon, this afternoon. yeah. Uh, the topic was what it's like to be a black fundraiser in a mostly white uh, philanthropic environment. Is that that's, correct? That's close. That's close. That's really close, yep. That's okay. in essence what it was about. That's what about. So yeah, dig into that. Help me understand what it is it like. Uh, how, how, what are the challenges that you face in this environment and I have another question but I'll I'll pause well I think one the statistics are staggering how much of a minority we are in the nonprofit sector and especially in leadership positions mm. so 87% of nonprofit CEOs in the United States 87% are white wow so what does that mean only 13% are black right yeah. or other race other yeah right so then we look at board chairs. 83% of board chairs in nonprofit organizations are white. I mean, the numbers are staggering. Yeah. So I think for us, that means that we are, we are walking into the room. One, we got an interview with people that don't look like us, who don't know the challenges that we come with. We're working with philanthropists that don't look like us. And sometimes it's, you have a feeling that you should not be your authentic self. Hmm. Right, that maybe you should pretend to be something else or try to be more like the person that you're talking to. Yeah. And so having very candid conversations about preconceived notions, about the environments that we work in. I know for me, I bring my past to my to my work, my philanthropic work. And it's one of the things that motivates me to help level the playing field yeah. for underserved, underrepresented, you know, populations. And so you can either make that, you know, the passion and your drive, or you can kind of get caught up in it and not have the best career experience not be as successful a fundraiser as you possibly could be because it's it's a weight it's a heavy weight that you carry yeah. with you carry you carry it with you every day right you mentioned in your session it's it's interactive um, yes and you know looking around here it's mostly white yes. people so how what what's what was the interaction that individuals uh, were a part of. Uh, I'd love to hear about that. And how did people respond in, yeah. in the session? So, you know, what's, what's interesting is that AFP does an annual study, their IDEA study every year on race and nonprofits and all of that. And, and it's, it's coming from the association. And they have found that 90% of their members are white. So, but we're here, like we're out here. Yeah. But for some reason, a lot of black fundraisers are not, are not coming into AFP. Hmm. I think that's often because they don't see themselves in the chapter. Oh, or there could be barriers, you know. Sometimes we are working for small organizations that won't pay the membership fee, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So you're asking about the session. We wanted the session to be very diverse, but we knew that because of the topic, we're going to be a lot of people of color in the audience, and there were. And one of our white attendees stood up and said, you know, it's great to see all these people of color, but really this session is for people like me, <laughs> for the white guy, you know? Yeah. And um, there were a few people that raised their hand and said, whoa, 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 I'm white. But it was like six people. Yeah. So... 
I think the lesson for us, we make it very interactive because we provide time for people to turn and talk to each other on some of the discussion topics. We allow people to stand up, come up to a microphone, and bring up a topic that they're wrestling with based on what we've presented. So very, very interactive. I mean, to the point where we had to sort of shut it down from, from all the questions and, and everything. Yeah. But I think what we want to accomplish is to tell people that you can have these candid kind of conversations and there's ways to have them. Yeah. We're going to help them articulate their experience so that they can explain it to other people, yeah. explain it to their CEO, executive director, say why maybe they don't feel supported in their role, and then explain how they could feel supported. Yeah. But we have to give them the language and the tools to, to be able to do that. And so providing the framework to say, this is what it looks like for me. I'm walking into a space that's mostly white. I'm, I want to be authentic, but maybe I'm afraid to be so. Yeah. You know, I, if, you're, if your organization CEO is not supporting you and being authentic, and maybe they're diminishing you in front of donors, then it's going to be hard for you to be successful. Yeah. But you can work with someone if they're not quite understanding what is going on right so that's what we're trying to trying to help people do got it you know I, I hear a lot of organizations who are predominantly white you know when, when they talk about how they're trying to diversify yes. like the team you know kind of justify it by saying hey we opened up our recruiting and no one applied right which I think is bullshit reason right um, but what, what's your perspective to those people that people that say it that like obviously I mean I have some thoughts too, but I'd love to hear your perspective because I hear that often and I'm, I'm sorry, I feel like it's, it's 2022, like this shouldn't really be the thought process today. Well, I think a lot of times in the nonprofit sector, because we are lean organizations, we're, we're unlike corporate America that can just throw money at problems, you yeah. know, but where we are posting openings is, is probably the first, the first place issue, yeah. right? And a, a lot of times we use our networks. So if you're white, what's your network? Is your network mostly white? Yeah. But I'm a person of color. Is my network mostly white? No, it is not. So mm. I think sort of getting out of whatever your sphere is or your bubble and increasing how positions are posted, seeking out different kinds of networks yeah. to, to post positions. I think, you know, our chapters are really good resources in that regard. I'm with the DC chapter. We have a black affinity group with the DC chapter. And there are other affinity groups too that you can, you know, get to, maneuver to yeah. within within different chapters. So so that's one of the things I would definitely suggest. And making an intentional effort to reach out to candidates of color, minority candidates, whatever that yeah. definition is. But it, it can't, you can't do it the same way you've always done it and then expect a different result, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Do you have hope that our industry will get better at this or... Oh, it definitely will. I mean, like I said from the beginning, we're the idealists, right? <laughs> we're the do-gooders. And the communities that we're helping are, I think, pushing us. One, you know, you've heard this expression, community-centric fundraising, right? Yeah. So our communities are pushing us to work differently. 
And that, I think, in turn is going to ripple out yeah. and, and have us really look at ourselves, look at the industry, and look at how we're doing some of these things, like you said, like recruiting and, and, yeah. and whatnot. I think so. also like um, democratizing the purse strings, right? I mean, you yeah. think about at the grant-making level, yes. the way that decisions are being made on funding is often boardroom decisions, right. not people right. on the ground, right. on the front lines, yeah. you know, who would have a much better say in, on how funds should be dispersed and where, yeah. and where they should go. Yeah. In your experience, have you seen sort of like even a lack of diversity in funding because of how, how it's controlled? You know, I really haven't seen that. Okay. I, in my experience, you know, and I've worked with all different kinds of funding organizations yeah. from companies to, you know, medium-sized foundations or family foundations. I think it's the onus is somewhat on us as a fundraiser to make the connection why the organization is worthwhile. Yeah. And that may mean that we are sending information to a funder for a couple of years before they actually fund us, mm. that we are initiating some conversations with them. A lot of information, public foundations, there's a lot of information out there that you can find out yeah. about them, how, what their portfolio looks like. And so I think we have to have those, uh, you know, they could be even be awkward conversations to say, you know, we've looked at your portfolio. We think we'd be a good fit for your portfolio and here's why. Yeah. And then c to continue having those conversations with the funder or the program director or whoever that is. Yeah. So I think some of the onus is on us. I do think, you know, all of us in the sector need to you know, sort of look in the mirror and take a close examination of who we are, a realistic, you know, view of who we are and how we're operating. Some organizations are doing a better job at that than others. Yeah. And I don't know that we'll ever eliminate, you know, implicit biases completely. But we can move the needle, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, having like open conversations in the workplace about it, it's it's not enough, but it's a starting point, right? Right. To exactly. At least you know, bring to the table what uh, what's what's happening and yes. and what's important to discuss and and, and to work towards. Um, I agree with that, and that's one of the things that we said a lot today. That you know, this is a way to put some of this stuff on the table. Yeah. And a lot of times, I think as a, as a black fundraiser, like you go through these cycles and you don't even understand where you are in the cycle. But we provided, like today, we provided language for people to articulate, this is, this, here's some scenarios and here's one that I've been a part of, being a token, being a token person. Huh. So an organization identifies that we've got an issue with a lack of diversity, let's hire a person of color. But then the person of color comes in, they're unsupported, the expectations are unrealistic, uh, you know, they're supposed to like solve world hunger on their own or something, you know, so yeah. so there's there's frustrations and then they wind up leaving and then the cycle kind of starts all over again, yeah. right? We were, and we were, uh, actually I was talking about this with Kashana a little bit yes. yesterday. She talked about how a lot of times people of color, when they're given the CEO position, it's often in times of crisis. Yes. Right. Or or there's no funding or, you know, and so then like you look back and through and it was, you know, it's, it, it, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, an, it's insane that you're almost um, set up to you're fail. Set up to fail. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 13%. That's hard to wrap my head around of and, and to remain optimistic. Uh, but we guess we got to we got to take it one day at a time. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Okay. Are uh -oh. you ready? I don't know them? if I'm ready, but I'm, I'm going to try to be ready. 
<laughs> awesome. All right. So there's no wrong or right answer here. All right. So all don't right. worry about it. Are you a movies or series person? Movies. Movies. What's your favorite movie? <laughs> Forrest Gump. Oh, that's a great movie. <laughs> That's a great movie. I love that movie. And the other one, this is crazy. I don't know how these two things go together, yeah. but I really like Aliens. Aliens. You know, the Alien with series with Sigourney Weaver, yeah, but yeah. the second one, not the, second, the first not one. The first the second. Usually with the, the first one's always better. But well, the Marines. Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. I, I really like that one. Tacos or cheeseburgers? Tacos. Tacos. Yeah. Steak, chicken, shrimp. 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 Yeah, I don't eat meat like that. Beach. <laughs> 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 I was talking to, uh, are, you, are you vegetarian? Pescatarian. Pescatarian. Okay. Yes. I was talking, I was talking to a uh, pescatarian yesterday, uh-huh. and they're like, I can't eat anything with a head on it still. All right. See? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, digital reading or an actual book? Book. Got to turn those pages. Hardcover or softcover? Uh, either. Either. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hardcovers stay home, though, mostly. Yeah. They're more decorative. <laughs> they're better decorative, right? Uh, you don't carry the hard- Oh, she's carrying a hardcover. That's great. I love it. She just bought that in the bookstore, right? <laughs> yeah. The AFP bookstore. Check it out, everybody. Uh, <laughs> ice cream or Froyo? Ice cream. Everyone has said ice cream. I think Froyo is definitely going out. No, because, you know, first of all, I think the frozen yogurt thing is like save some calories or something. Yeah. But then you wind up putting the cookies and the and the true. fudge on top of it anyway. And so it just ends up Just right have there. the damn ice cream, you know? <laughs> um, football or football? Oh, football. Football. Yeah. All right. American football. Um, Jets. J E T S. Jets. 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 Yeah. Gotta get that in. Okay. They. Uh, I think Andrew's a Jets fan, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, Eagles. That's right. Oh. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Moana or Aladdin? Whoever. Uh, Moana. You know. Um, uh, Aladdin. Al- okay. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. like the. I like the. Give me the wish thing. <laughs> the gen- genie in a bottle. <laughs> Yeah, I awesome. like that idea. And Will Smith played, he played a great, I know he's in trouble now, but but he played a great Aladdin, though. For real, he did? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so that, that was my, ne- my follow-up question. The the original, which he gets very upset when I ask, or the live, or the uh, I like the Will person. Smith version. Yeah, I, I, me too. I did. I liked it. Yeah, I like that one yeah. better, too. Awesome. Well, thank you. He's in trouble, not me. I didn't do <laughs> <Yeah>. nothing. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks, Justin. Really Thanks for it. having me today. Absolutely. Thank you. Good luck with everything. In this segment, Mallory Erickson, executive coach, consultant, and AFP presenter, dives into what it means to be a nonprofit, not just in the 21st century, but in a pandemic-affected, increasingly digital relationship as a gold standard online world. Mallory, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. How uh, How's AFP been so far? It's been awesome. It's been so fun to see people in person and just the energy in the room. It's clear everyone's really grateful to be back together. Yeah. Is, this isn't your first in-person conference, is it? Other than AFP Lead, it's my second. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. so pretty freshy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I was, we were talking earlier, it feels kind of like post-2020 almost. Mm. Or sorry, pre-2020, mm. where like, you know, it a lot of people feel a lot more comfortable yeah uh, to be around humans again so yeah that's yeah, it's, it's, it's really a nice, nice. feeling yeah. nice feeling we're going to talk about fundraising if you could tell your younger self something that you know now as a more mature fundraiser uh, or something you could do differently uh, as you were just getting started what would what would that be we have a lot of fundraisers listening 
And so what would you, what would you say, what advice would you give to them? Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many things because I was a fundraiser who hated fundraising for a very long time um, and felt super uncomfortable. I think the number one thing I would tell myself is that I'm not bothering people when I'm giving them invitations to be involved in our organization. Like, I think we have this narrative that we're bothering our donors all the time and they'll give a gift and we don't want to bother them by letting them know about a volunteer opportunity. We don't want to bother them by inviting them to this other thing that they might be interested. And we sort of have this narrative that they've given when they didn't really want to or somehow they were kind of tricked into it. But like all the data shows that retention really increases when people have an opportunity to do something personal in addition to giving the gift or having that sort of peak moment with an organization close to a gift is incredibly impactful that our donors actually really want to hear from us and we're giving them a tremendous sense of identity in themselves when we continue to make those offerings and those invitations. I think as a young fundraiser, I just really felt insecure about that. Mm. Like I was taking up space where the other person didn't necessarily want that relationship with me and I would tell myself now that they really do and they're really grateful for the opportunity to express themselves through giving. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think donors, I, I, you know, from my experience as well, I think are m- much more excited to actually engage and get involved and be invited to, to things, uh, to feel connected to like the actual mission of the organization. It makes giving way easier. Right? Yeah. I mean, of course they're going to give like that's like, that's understood. Yeah. Um, but inviting them into the experience of what it's like to, you know, to, to be at the organization and yeah. you, uh, connected to the impact. I think that, that goes a long way. And I think a lot of times as fundraisers, we can, we get inside our heads and we think that the donor just wants to write the check and kind of be passive mm-hmm. where in reality, most people want to actually be involved they, because it, they, it's satisfying, right? To, to be totally. close to that. Yeah. So you work with a lot of nonprofits and as we kind of get ha- almost, it's crazy, halfway through 2022, where is this year going? I know. Gee, that's crazy. <laughs> but you know, I, I think like one of the, we've, we've talked about this before, but one of the like, I think positive aspects of, of the pandemic was it forced nonprofits to really adopt and become more tech savvy and to really accelerate their the, the, the way mm-hmm. that they operate as, as organizations. How are you seeing in mid 2022, how are you seeing sort of like those learnings? Uh, are they sticking with nonprofits? Uh, are nonprofits going back to their old ways? What, what are you seeing mm-hmm. um, with within your clients that um, would be interested in that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I feel like at the beginning, I'd be curious like what you guys saw in this area too, but I feel like at the beginning, right when COVID hit, we saw this like paralysis for a bit, right? And then we saw this sort of differentiation, like nonprofits taking action, finding quick tech solutions, pivoting fast, and other nonprofits that stayed paralyzed. And a lot of those nonprofits didn't sort of make it through. And I feel like we're seeing a little bit of a similar pattern right now where some organizations are getting sort of stuck in that like, okay, what does the new future look like? And kind of overanalyzing like what's the perfect way to fuse virtual events or hybrid events or in-person events. And then we're seeing others that are like, you know what? We still don't know exactly what this looks like, but we saw all this strength in having a a bigger digital footprint or an easier way of giving online. So what if we test it? What if we A-B test it? What if we play with this? What if we try this? And I feel like that piece around just recognizing that it's an ever shifting landscape. I, someone said this quote yesterday that I cannot remember perfectly, but it was something like, 
you know, there there's no back to before, right? Like yeah. the goal of any growth is not to go back to yeah. a way things were. Totally. And so I think it's about how do we think about everything that's changed, everything we've learned, everything we've done better. And now we just have opportunities to integrate that into being more in person. And yeah. so the folks who work with me are definitely sticking to their tech tools and continuing to integrate those and then just seeing oppor new opportunities yeah, everywhere. Yeah, that's good. That's good to hear. You know, because I've been thinking a lot about like when retail got disrupted with e-commerce, mm. right? Like brick and mortar retail. Mm. It was such a like night and day shift. Mm. And you know, you look at fundraising in the nonprofit space, and still only like ten percent, twelve percent is is online, and mm. you know the rest is is offline. Like you know, mm. the equivalent of brick and mortar. Yeah. And just, what are your thoughts on sort of like how far will it go with with it nonprofits? Like how much of digital will be like the pie of, of fundraising? Like, have we hit sort of like, you know, the, the, the capacity, like the threshold, or do you think there's still a lot of room left to, to go? Yeah, tons. I mean, I think also when you, like at least the organizations that I work with, the folks who are writing checks tend to be older generations of, of yeah. donors, right? And so I think as like digital adoption takes a bigger role in all of our lives and the donor population continues to grow as younger and younger people become donors. And, you know, I think, I think there's so much room for growth. I think what's interesting and what, you know, the data doesn't always seem to capture is that I feel like there are also so many new ways of expressing generosity. Hmm. Like I've been really fascinated with what's been happening since the Ukraine uh, crisis started and just people expressing generosity by buying digital art on Etsy or giving through Airbnb.org. And I feel like that tells us so much about the digital appetite yeah. for donors, but also that nonprofits haven't always done the best job making direct giving easy or celebrating the small dollar donor or, you know, things like that, that those types of avenues like do give the opportunity for. So for me, there's like something really like special and possible if we can sort of capture both of those pieces. Yeah, absolutely. Within within your clients, are you seeing any trends that like, like oh, I, I, I didn't realize this was happening or like mm. anything that's interesting from the cohort of customer or nonprofits that that you work with where you're like, oh, I want to like double click on that. That that's an interesting sort of trend or anything. And it's kind of like a, maybe a hard question to answer yeah. on the spot. But. I mean, I feel like I'm just continually inspired by the way folks are building partnerships. Like I think that the growth that my folks have seen, particularly with like corporate partnerships, mm. I think even over the last two years has been tremendous and just people getting really creative and thinking about giving like integrated into so many other elements of what they do, whether it is like online shopping. Like for me, I'm like, okay, you're right about that revolution in like e-commerce, right? So what it, that I think has massive implications for us too, because I think people are much more likely to add a dollar at checkout than to click the little box yeah. on the on the credit card swipe thing, totally. right? So what does that mean? So I think the thing that surprises me in a really good way is the creativity that partners have been coming to the table with and um, and just watching that blossom. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. One of, one of the things that like I've I've been seeing is actually like more competition between nonprofit and for-profit like social good mm. or, with a social good mission or you know CSR component mm -hmm. and seeing that not just the competition between like the nonprofit and the corporation but actually like the consumer or the the donor 
do you, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what are your thoughts around sort of that? Ooh, okay. Well, I love that you brought it up. I think it has the potential to really shake up the sector in a positive way yeah. if we listen to its teachings, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think I was just talking to someone who graduated college, like, I don't know, 12 years after me. And sort of she was talking about, you know, deciding where she wanted to go with her career in a way that she can make a positive impact in the world. And I was sort of saying when I graduated college, I felt like it was like, if you want to do good, like you go into nonprofit. And that is just not true anymore, right? There's so many ways to make a positive impact. I think it means that there's more competition in the job market. I think that it means that as nonprofits, like nonprofits need to get savvier and like have the opportunity to rise to the occasion to be sort of competitive with applicants and putting I think this also sort of begs the question for like if you are competing for for for-profit that has a really beautiful digital footprint and makes it super easy for people to get involved and express their identity through generosity in that way nonprofits have to show up for that too and so what does that look like so I think it's a little bit scary because we haven't always seen nonprofits adapt and adopt quickly Um, but I think if we can really like listen to what this is teaching us there's tremendous opportunity absolutely I'd like to see I'd like to see nonprofits kind of take the posture of for ex- like for example second time Elon Musk has come up today but we'll go with it <laughs> uh, more so like if you think about like how Tesla has yeah. basically pushed all mainstream automobile companies to go electric by mm-hmm. everyone saying 2030 mm-hmm. right and you look at like how did like a company mm-hmm. disrupt an entire industry so fast I mean it's been like a decade maybe mm-hmm. a decade so like as like a nonprofit leader, the question I'd be asking myself is how do we disrupt problem X, Y, and Z that we're trying to solve as quickly and at, as, as, as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. right? I think that's, that's where I think like it doesn't have to be competitive mm-hmm. in, in regards to like someone cares about climate change. Do you buy a Tesla or do you donate to mm-hmm. like your favorite charity working the issue? Mm-hmm. I think more so it's like the frame of mind of of getting to scale and yeah. and making an actual dent on the problem that you're trying to solve. Yes. You know? Yes. So. I was just reading a statistic that like the average donor gives to like five to seven organizations. And I think that's interesting sort of in line with what you're saying. Like what came up for me when I saw that was, okay, so what this tells me is that like donors, like if giving builds pieces of identity, of, of our identity, we're complex people, right? Yeah. We're not going to do one thing. We're not going to go to one organization, like because we want to express who we are in a lot of different ways. And so that's right. Like it's not competitive, but it's like, how can organizations make it really clear that like being a part of their work is like that people want to say like, yeah, people like me do things like yeah. this, like that Seth Godin quote, you know? Yeah. And so that's just about our creativity and connection. And I think not one of the things I think nonprofits fall into a lot is trying to be everything for everyone. And when we've seen these like revolutionary brands disrupting spaces, that's not what they've tried to do. They've been really clear about who they're for and they've trusted that people are going to start this person. I want to be that person. And I'd, I'd like to see more of that in our sector. Interesting. Yeah. And I think that that pushes nonprofits to have to, to get more personal, like personalize mm. their message, their branding who they are as an organization, right? They, they, I think that's, that's, that's a great point. And I think that's, that's such an important aspect of being a nonprofit in the 21st century yeah. uh, is to be able to relate with, with your donors in, in, in that way. 
what are you the most excited about with a six months, six and a half, or I guess seven months, really seven months left in the year. What, what's, <laughs> what are you tackling? What's a challenge mm. that you're excited to be addressing? Like what's some, something that you're really hoping mm. uh, to just nail in 2022? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I'm thinking a lot about for nonprofits is I interviewed this woman on the podcast who's a motivational scientist okay. and she talks about this idea in motivational science of the middle problem. So like how we get really motivated at the beginning of any challenge and then we're very motivated at the end, but motivation wanes significantly in the middle. Huh. And she has some strategies for, you know, how to do that kind of on an inner individual level, right? When we're trying to start a habit or something like that. But I've been thinking a lot about how I feel like the middle problem is stewardship. Like, and so I'm starting to like, just sort of explore and unpack what that means about how we think about tracking and metrics and fundraiser enablement and behavior and celebration. Like I think about how many organizations just celebrate or even track the money coming in. And like, what if we could shift and be tracking fundraiser behavior in all the ways that really matter? Because I think fundraising is so much more than just the moment the money moves into the organization. But sometimes we really like compartmentalize it and then we're missing opportunities. Yeah. You know, it's, this might be a little bit controversial, but maybe not. Um, this is, this is actually why I have such a big problem with like move management Mm. because you're, you're like taking a human being from like one point to transaction, Mm -hmm. right? Like ideally like very simplified version. Like that's what moves management Mm -hmm. is, is trying to get a transaction out of somebody. And if you think about, I mean, that's just like, that's like not how you build a relationship, mm-hmm. right? It's not how you steward mm-hmm. an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really interesting. I like, I, I've been thinking, that's been on my mind of like, cause it comes up and, and specifically with like product, right? It's like, yeah. when you're with funders, when you're going to build like move, a moves management, like yeah. component. And in my head, I'm like, I never want to build it because I actually hate the practice. You know, I think it's, it's not the best way to actually steward a donor. It's, it's a, it's a, a way to, you know, track like where someone's maybe at in like the life cycle yeah. of, of giving but it's not the way you actually steward a donor and build that relationship. I could not agree more. And I think it's a very like two dimensional look at everything, right? It's like, we just don't know how else to track fundraiser behavior. We don't, it's like our best, but it's totally mediocre standard of like evaluating how we're doing these things because we don't have another way to say where we're at. And we're not comfortable saying we don't know where we're at, but the reality is even in a moves management system, we don't know where we're at. And so I just wish we were a little bit more honest about that and like let the nuance live there and say like these are human beings and these are human relationships and how do we celebrate the actions for fundraisers that we know to be the most impactful be successfully you know bringing in money in the future but also that really like honors the relationship in the meantime yeah absolutely all right so we're gonna have some rapid fire questions okay there's no there's no wrong wrong or right answer okay so this is just whatever whatever you want (laughs) Favorite movie or series? Ooh, The Usual Suspects is my favorite movie of okay. all time. Oh, okay, I like that. <laughs> tacos or cheeseburgers? Oh, tacos because I'm vegetarian. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. How long have you been vegetarian for? Since I was 11. Since you were 11? Yeah, I eat fish now. I started fish, eating okay. fish a few years ago, but I stopped eating all meat when I was 11 and then just a few years ago. With, like when you had like a, when you had fish for the first time, was it like a weird, like was the texture weird or was it yeah, like what you remembered? Yeah, it still is a little, like a little, I can't okay. eat anything with like a head on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> so good. That's has to good. be a well-disguised <laughs> fish. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. All right. Beach or mountains? Ooh. Mountains, mountains, but I so love them both. If you, to, if you had to live somewhere for the rest of your life, mountains, mountains, interesting. I think, yeah. Okay, so you like the cold? 
know can it be like lukewarm mountains? Sure, sure. This is this is uh, these <laughs> are your is questions. This yeah. right? <laughs> okay. Uh, digital reading or an actual book? Ooh, actual book. Actual book. Yeah. Football or football? Football. Football. Uh, Moana or Encanto? Encanto. And I've literally watched it 74 times in the past three weeks. Uh, do you cry every time you watch it? It's so wet. The oh, last so song. Oh, my God. I, I just know. can't my, do it. My kids, oh, they love it. My, my daughter, Emmy, goes, this is the part where mommy cries. <laughs> That's cute. Well, Maui, thank you so much for joining us again on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This was so Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Fundraise, nonprofit fundraising software built by nonprofit people. If you'd like to continue the conversation, find me on LinkedIn or text me at 562-242-8160. And don't forget to get your next episode the second it hits the internets. Go to nonstopnonprofitpodcast.com and sign up for email notifications today. See you next time.